Birdie Boy Productions is super excited because the blue-eyed Mexican Shane Torres' first stand-up special is on YouTube right now. Check it out. It's on Shane Torres' channel and Burt Kreischer's channel, The Blue-Eyed Mexican. I hope you like it. We're so proud of it. There's a link in the description below. Check it out on YouTube now. I felt so much fear and shame about my substance abuse because of my dad being my dad. Mm -hmm. And so... Oh, we talk about that being a heavy load. Yeah. You don't live in your parents' house anymore? No. Where are you living? I'm in... I mean, you don't have to say specifically, but... I'm in uh, the southern part of that city. Okay. <laughs> okay. And I live with my boyfriend. Amazing! Yeah. Okay, I got to hear all about the boyfriend. Yeah, well, also... First of all, yeah. he's adorable. He's such a good person. Adorable. He's he's so precious. Yeah. My So, um, my parents have had the same housekeeper since before I was born, and she basically raised me, and she's this, t like, this old Polish woman, and... I walked into the house and she was like, don't tell mom, but boyfriend, so beauty. Aww. Face, so beauty. Aww. And then like days before, she'd be like, no love, only money, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but she thinks he's beauty because he is beauty. Oh, he seems absolutely the sweetest, purest, <laughs> happiest soul. I watch on, on Instagram. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, he is just a, amazing. It's so wild being in a relationship where people's body language doesn't shut off as soon as my partner enters the room. Like, I feel like it, like once we started dating and I was like, oh, love doesn't feel like hurt and it's not hard all the time. And I, like very like clear, easy revelations have been so like profound. And he's just, you know, I can walk into a space and I'm not worried about his behavior. He doesn't like he's not maintenance. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and that's <laughs> somehow a revelation for me. <laughs> but he's wonderful. I mean, every night we get into bed and he's like, oh, if I can do this every day for the rest of my life and just know that I end up here, that's all I need. Oh. And I'm just like, and he says it every night. Like it's like a, and it's just, it's so different than anything I've ever had. Oh, where'd you meet him again? Tinder. You know what? Uh, it happens. It can happen, right? The bottom feeder app can find you love um, because Why I don't- Why is that the bottom feeder app? I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't even necessarily think it is the bottom feeder app anymore. I think everybody's on it. But I think when it started, it was mostly just for sex. And now it's just online dating is sort of it. Like it's, it's almost um, unusual to meet someone in the, in the real world. Yeah. I think it is almost unusual to meet someone in the real world. Yeah. Uh, I know I keep, I have a friend who's older. She's in her, she's 61. And uh -huh. I keep saying, you need to get on Tinder and Hinge. And she's like, no, it's working for people. Why it, not? It's, it's one of those things though, because it does work, but it requires a lot of work mm -hmm. in that there's so many people, like you have to be the filter. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of have to learn the hard way who to avoid. Mm. Um, and I started using Tinder like probably when I was 22. So that was probably like eight years of of rigorous work on that app. Right. Um, and so it's a lot of work. And also for me, it kind of got to the point where <laughs> like it would trigger sort of the addict part of my brain. 
where it was just like swipe, 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 match. Okay, this person I'm going to like spend my life with, you know? Mm-hmm. And what was interesting about when I matched with Tracy is I I remember matching with him and usually I didn't because I was just in that sort of like trance-like state, just being like dopamine, 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 dopamine. And at the time I was talking to two other people mm-hmm. and he was the one that I was most excited about, but he would take his time responding back to me. And so we had a conversation on the app before we even like made a plan. Um, and so one dude I went on a date with and I had absolutely no chemistry with. And that was important too, because I could sit on a date and be like, wow, I don't have to have sex with this person, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. And then there was another guy who I was talking to on the phone, but like he seemed a little bit like, like he was sleeping through the day and working at night, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, was like, oh, you're sober? Uh, I really like drinking beer. Is that a problem? You know, like that kind of stuff. Um, and then with Tracy, it was just like the conversation kept going and I was most excited about him. And it just happened. I don't know. It's so weird how that happens. It just happens. It is weird. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, it's First of all, I think you have to be ready. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because you, the signs can be everywhere. But if you're not ready, you're not going to read them. Yeah. You just aren't able to, right? Yeah. And then <clears throat> when you do read the signs, to not be scared of them. You know? Yeah. To not let them scare you. Oh my gosh, this one's for real. I'm leaving. Yeah. You know, to go, this one's for real. What does that mean? And be curious about that. I mean, I did so much mental gymnastics for every other person I ever encountered. And when it came time, when I met Tracy, like it was really like, when it's right, it's easy. Mm -hmm. And that really clicked in because I wasn't contorting who I wanted him to be in contention with who he actually was. Like Mm -hmm. he just kept showing up as he was. And I was like, wow, I like this person. It's just, it's gotten better with time. Like, Mm -hmm. cause every other relationship I ever had, long-term, short-term, it was like, there was always a point in which like, either I just, I kind of pulled out or whatever. And it just has gotten deeper with time. I don't know. It's like almost unexciting. I mean, it's exciting because it's like, oh, I found the love of my life. Like, that's amazing. I want to marry him and have babies with him. Mm -hmm. But also it's like, it's so much less dramatic. Isn't it? It's so much less dramatic. Like, I just, I spent a lot of time and mental anguish on trying to to make someone the right size. It's like, almost like you've been panting forever and all of a sudden you go, <sighs> yeah. Oh, wait, I don't have to do that to breathe? Yeah. I can just breathe? Yeah. It's almost like that, right? Yes. And, and you know, I want to add on what you said. <clears throat> The right relationship isn't easy, mm. in my opinion. It's just, it's just effortless. Mm. Does that make sense? There are hard times. Yeah. But, and that, those times are not, so maybe I'm saying, we're saying the same thing. Well, it's, but I hear what you're saying. Where you it's, know what I mean? It's, the lack of compatibility isn't the issue. Right. The issue is whatever you're facing. Is the issue. Yeah. The issue is just that. It's an Like issue. life is hard. Yeah. Like yeah. that, I think has been the, because so when I last saw you, mm-hmm. I was, oh, that the week before, I probably talked about it. I had fallen leaving a tiny house and mm-hmm. smashed my tailbone yep. and had a bruise, like a Batman tram stamp on mm-hmm. my ass. I didn't know that when I fell, my pelvis popped out of socket. What? And so for two months. Wait a minute. Yeah. Your pelvis popped out of socket? What yeah. socket did it pop out of? My, my, my hip. 
Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And so for two months, I didn't know. So I, I thought I had broke my tailbone. I hadn't. And I went to New Orleans for Jazz Fest and I walked like, you know, 20,000 steps or whatever. And my tailbone was aching. And I was like, what's going on? Went to physical therapy and she's like, oh, I know what this is because I had it too. I guess women, when they fall, your pelvis, kind of like when you do childbirth, it's kind of like a, a it's, it's uh, what's it called? It's an evolutionary trait so that it's easier to have child, your, you know, your child vaginally. Um, but also um, my pelvis popped out of socket and I didn't know for two months. And so I was in physical therapy for six months. So that was like sort of like the big thing of this year. Like you saw me like right after that injury. And mm-hmm. I feel like from that point forward, like mentally and physically was very grueling mm-hmm. um, because growing up, I'd have injuries and I'd go to physical therapy for like however long just to like get back on the ice. But this was an injury that I'm like still dealing with mm-hmm. where like my pelvis is popping out of socket. If I don't like Basically, I have to keep my core and my left butt cheek really strong mm-hmm. to keep it in place. Um, but that was early on in our relationship. That was probably, we we started dating in January, official in February, and then I fell end of March. And so it was kind of, it's not, it was not ideal. I don't, I don't recommend falling. It really sucks. Um, <laughs> and it was very painful. Um, but like the issue was never him. Like it was never like, oh, I I need help doing X, Y, Z, but he doesn't want to. Like, there was never any of that. Mm-hmm. It was never like, oh, I need to take care of him because he feels bad. It was like, you're effed up right now. You know, like, what can I do to help you? Mm-hmm. You know, and and that was sort of, it was just, prof- it's just been a profound, weird year where like, I had the extreme high of like falling in love and finding my person and moving out of my parents' house. And then also like, this huge injury where like I couldn't even get into the front seat of my car without my pelvis falling out of socket. Oh my God. And then we moved in as my pelvis was like still out of place. So I had to wear like one of those like girdles that you wear when you're pregnant. So Mm -hmm. yeah. So I had to wear that while we were moving all our furniture. Oh my God. So it was just life stuff. I don't know. It's been, it's been lifey. But that's awesome that he was that way. It sounds like he just saw you. Yeah. Yeah. He sees me, man. As simple as that sounds, it's actually quite profound when it's, you feel seen yeah, in a relationship. It's unnerving a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's unnerving. What makes it unnerving? I guess, um, so I've been working on my book this year. And, That's amazing. And I have a lot of it done. The memoir? Yes. Amazing. And a lot of that book is about performance mm-hmm. and about what we think versus how we show up and things like that. And it talks about like my figure skating training performance and then sort of media sensationalist sort of experiences and like how I was, how I had my hair and how I was positioned versus how I was feeling. Mm -hmm. And so I've been thinking a lot about the ways in which I performed to sort of survive, I guess. Mm -hmm. And recently I'm, recently I was kind of in a weird funk and we were laying in bed as we do. And uh, he was like, you know, you don't have to perform for me. And it kind of blew my hair back because I was like, I don't feel like I perform for you. Mm. He's like, well, I noticed that, you know, you'll use phrases that I hear you use for people that you don't know that like kind of like fall into the sort of like affable, like conversationalist, you know? And I said to him, I was like, it's not, and oh, so he was saying, you know, it makes me nervous because I it makes me think that you're not comfortable with me. And I, I don't, want you to ever feel not comfortable with me and you can be whoever you 
are, you know? And I said to him, you know, it's not, it's not that I'm not comfortable with you. It's that I'm not comfortable with me. Right. And that this sort of default is what I'm comfortable in because I know it works. Mm -hmm. And it's rare in my life for someone to be close enough to me to actually see past that performance. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so that's why it's kind of like, there's a vulnerability in being seen, Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, especially when you've been asked to not be seen Mm. because of the way you grew up. Yeah. You know, it was required that you not be seen. That was required sometimes, obviously not all the time. Yeah. But there was, and that's true for everybody. Yeah. You know, you can't go to work every day in pieces if your life's in pieces at home. Yeah. There is a performative piece for everybody. Mm -hmm. But I think for you, it was probably a little different because of, you know, who who your parents are and the public eye. It is really scary to uh, not have anywhere to hide, you know? I've been thinking about that in terms of, I think it's important to be authentic. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of artists' ways is discovering who you are and being true to yourself and all that. But also at the same time, it's scary to be authentic all the time because that means your core is open to everybody. Mm -hmm. And when you have that shell up, at least you can say, oh, that's not me, right? Mm -hmm. They don't just like, they don't like that affable, whatever, you know, whatever, you know, that's not who I am. And as I, so Friday, I'll have two years sober. Amazing. Which is crazy. Friday. Yeah. What are you doing to celebrate that? Um, I am going to a meeting. I'm going to take a cake and then I'm probably going to go ice skating. Nice. And then I don't know. <laughs> that's amazing, Paulina. Two years. Yeah. Holy shit. How proud of you are you? I, it's it's both, I'm incredibly proud, but also at the same time, there's a sense of like grief mm-hmm. where so much has changed in such little time, but also it's been a lot of time at the same time. Like it's kind of a disorientating feeling mm-hmm. where if I think about where I was two years ago today, I was getting in that car mm-hmm. in New York about to head to New Orleans. And so two years today is actually my first like sober from weed day. Mm-hmm. And there is kind of a grief in like a, how did I ever get there? But also like how much has changed? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, it's a, it's a very bittersweet feeling where I'm like, I can't believe it's been two years. And it's also not as, the first year was so profoundly different. Mm-hmm. And this year was more about living life mm-hmm. on life's terms. And obviously big things happened, but also I think there's this sort of grief in that like my whole life wasn't just being sober. Mm-hmm. Like it was almost, I almost look back on early sobriety. I'm like, man, that was horrible, but also awesome. Because all I had to do was like build myself up from the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like you have any shame? Connected with it. Wife of the Party is brought to you by DraftKings. Unwrap the first of many presents this season with holidays on the house from DraftKings Casino. With hundreds of games, prizes, and promos, DraftKings Casino has everything on your list. Right now, new players who play $5 get $100 instantly in casino credits. What are you waiting for? Cozy up with all the classics like slots, blackjack, and roulette, or play exclusive games you'll only find at DraftKings Casino to feel the holiday cheer all season long. 
Download the DraftKings Casino app now and sign up with promo code WOTP and play $5 to get $100 in casino credits. That's promo code WOTP. Only at DraftKings Casino. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. 21 and over. Physically present in Connecticut, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia only. Void in Ontario. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. One per opt-in new customer. $5 wager required. Maximum $100 in casino credit awarded, which require one-time playthrough within seven days. Terms at casino.draftkings.com slash holidays on the house. Restrictions apply. Do you feel like you have any shame connected with it? Maybe. Maybe. Just because... Now that I am with a partner who is so loving and supporting, I can't believe that I ever accepted anything less. Mm -hmm. And it's, I was actually midway through the year experiencing like really violent dreams Mm. and dreams about my ex. And so I went back to EMDR to do more therapy and trauma work. And so I know there's more trauma work to be done, but yeah, it's, I, it's, it's, it's such a weird, it's a kind of like a liminal space where like, I appreciate how much has changed, but I'm also tired of so much change happening all the time. I see. But that's also life. Yes, it is life. Like you guys have been going through so much change. Yes, we have. And we still have more to come. I mean, I have this, my last year with a kid at home, you know, this time next year, I'll be an empty nester. I will have been an empty nester for a few months by this time next year. Wow. So I am looking at a ticking time clock of, you know, pretty soon life will never be the same ever, right? Your kids may come back home, but it will never be the same. And saying goodbye to, um, you know, when our kids were younger was such an amazing time period as a parent. And everything's great now, but it's just different. You know, they don't need us now. They're not supposed to need us. They've moved into this place of being super independent which we're both, both of us are really happy about. And at the same time go, oh man, remember when like eight kids were in the pool and eight adults were around having margaritas and shooting the shit. And we'd come up with some cockamamie idea, like to build a water slide off the roof or something crazy (laughs) and then do it and then barbecue all day. And it would start Friday after school and end Sunday night. And we were together the whole time. That's just not happening anymore. And it's really not going to happen anymore. Um, because we're, we're tired. <laughs> We're older. And the kids entertain themselves. You know, the main focus of that was keeping the kids entertained. Yeah. So that they could, you know, be entertained. And we weren't with, you know, not that we didn't want to be with our kids, but they'd much rather be with their peers, with their parents. Yeah. So I don't know. It's a weird time, but the positive is we get to reinvest in our relationship. You know, now we get to do things we couldn't or didn't want to do because we wanted to be with our kids. Yeah. But it's different. And it's different too, because we have so many years under our belt with each other. We know each other so well that our shorthand is even shorter. And uh, it's an amazing time forward. It makes me feel a little selfish because I've spent so much time focused on my kids that sometimes I feel very selfish to focus on myself. Mm until they're actually gone. Well, you're out of practice in a certain way. I'm out of practice. Yeah, it's a good way of looking at it, a little out of practice. But but yeah, we've been going through a lot. I mean, I started working here about the same time that I saw you last in March is when I kind of officially 
started working for Bert, even though I sort of worked for Bert forever. Yeah. Not in any kind of real official, official capacity. Wow. And then this has grown so much and changed and I'm learning as I go. And I've made so many mistakes in this eight or nine months, I feel like. And I've made, done a lot of really good things. So you don't, I don't know. I don't think I expected to learn anything this big at this age. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I thought my learning was kind of done. Like, not that you don't stop learning, but this kind of monumental learning yeah. that's had to happen for me since like February, March. I didn't really expect that at all. That's um, really exciting though. It's exciting. It's also um, exhausting sometimes yeah. because I, I have a lot of stamina. I have a lot of energy. I have more than most people, I think, even not my, even younger. Yeah. But I'm finding that my stamina and my energy is less than it was, you know, even five years ago. Yeah. Um, and, so, and so I am tired a lot. Like I am, if we're watching TV, nine o'clock, I am asleep. Yeah. And that makes me feel really old. Because I'm like, damn it, I want to stay up to 1130. Yeah. What's wrong with me? And it's just that I'm working all day and I'm just kind of exhausted. Whereas in the past, I would just still just stay up till 1130. So I yeah, know. it's interesting. And I've, I've gone through menopause. I've menopause for over a year. So I think I'm kind of out of it. Yeah. That's an interesting shift. Your body changes entirely. Your skin changes. Your hair changes. Like everything about you changes almost like after you have a baby. I remember after I had a baby, I was like, who is this person? Mm. Like parts of my body are brand new. Wow. And are never going back to what they were before. And, you know, some women don't experience that. They just, everything pops right back into place. And it's, I have a feeling that is not going to be me. <laughs> it, de <laughs> it definitely was not me. And it's probably more people than women actually talk about. Yeah. Because you don't talk about the negative of having kids. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people don't talk super openly about menopause either. Some of it yeah. is not so pretty either. Um, I had a relatively mild menopause and still I was very at the top of my lungs about it. Like, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm dying. I'm so hot. Yeah. I'm so hot. I'm so hot. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's not life. The thing about life, like what you were saying, is that sometimes it's just hard and you're tired of change. Yeah. The one thing that's constant is change. And I know I have always tried to hunger for change, mm. right? To, to hunger for it. Because if you hunger for it, it makes it easier when it shows up. Yeah. And if you dread it or um, if you even anticipate it, you yeah. know, that gets you in anxiety a little bit. Yeah. If you just have a knowing that every day is change and so give me that, give me that, give me more of that, then it seems to be a little easier. Yeah. I. It's funny because I, I was so excited to come and talk to you, but I feel as I'm sitting down and I'm settling into it, like, the grief aspect of, I don't know if it's the anniversary coming up. I had a conversation with my dad on Friday. I interviewed him for my newsletter. Because nice. I guess at my anniversary, I interviewed him being like, how, what do you, how do you think I'm doing sober-wise? Yeah. You know? And he brought up the grief concept and that there is a grief and change. Mm -hmm. But if, I, I'm glad we're having this conversation because I think so much of the change in my life was not um, by choice. Like I really think, God, higher power, whatever the universe did for me, what I couldn't do for myself. Mm -hmm. And I'm so thankful because I wouldn't be here, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, 
and I, I love my life and I love the ways in it's changed, but I'm not at the point where I'm hungry for change and mm-hmm. I want to be mm-hmm. like, I, I know that engagement and marriage and babies are coming and that's the kind of change that I'm actually really looking forward to. But for whatever reason, like there is, it's, it's a sadness, but it, it but sadness feels flimsy. You know, it's just mm-hmm. like a, yeah, grief of just like, they say when you have kids, your life changed so much and there's a grief in that. No, and I there think, is, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I almost feel like when that happens, I'm almost going to be practiced at that sort of life change mm. that's so profound that everything shifts, mm. you know? Like I already had a sort of baby of sorts and it's yeah. my sobriety and it's two years old, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you should be exactly where you are. Yeah. You should just be in that grief because I, I also had a period, you know, I know I've talked to you about how much I drank yeah. when I was younger when I stopped drinking. I was so sad. Yeah. And I wasn't sad. I didn't, it wasn't from missing alcohol. It was all of my feelings I had been um, numbing from using. Yeah. And all of a sudden, those feelings didn't go away. They just got stuffed in every nook and cranny of your physical body. So when that is opened, you have to let it all out. I, I used to lock myself in the closet and cry for no reason. Because I knew I just needed to get it out of my body. And you don't need to put a reason or a why. You just need to be there. And as long as you don't stay there too long. Yeah. You know, if you stay there too long, then it's depression and then it's something different. Yeah. But I don't think you're... No, I've been depressed before. And and I... This is not that. I, I... Last week, I, um, I canceled on my trainer. She's a friend of mine. And I had, I had some warts frozen off my feet Ooh, because la, la. I'm a beautiful girl. Um, and so I couldn't, I couldn't walk or stand for a few days. And so she texted me and she was like, Hey, how are you, how are your feet doing? And I was like, they hurt and I'm sick. And, and I wasn't sick and I fell back asleep and I woke up and I was like, why did I lie? Huh? Like it had been two years since I've, and I used to do that all the time. I have migraine, whatever. And I was like, that's old behavior, you know? And that was what was on, maybe that's the difference of like who I am now versus who I was and how I'm still the same person. Mm-hmm. And that that um, I'm not completely healed. I'm not the Messiah. You know, like I'm just someone who did too many drugs and can't do them anymore, you right? know? And you're I, figuring it out. Yeah, yeah. And so you go back on bad behavior sometimes. Oh yeah. And I, I text her, I was like, I'm so sorry. You did not deserve that. I lied. You know, and she was like, it's okay. (laughs) Not a big deal. But just, I think maybe feeling that rebound between how I used to behave a lot versus now, like I have way more integrity. I have higher self-esteem because I show up more fully. I'm not so stoned out of my gourd all the time that I'm just like dissociating in the corner, you know? Well, the other piece of that is a lot of that bad behavior comes with a lot of dopamine. Yeah, yeah. You know, lying mm. makes you feel really excited. So you have a you have a secret and you've gotten one over on somebody. Yeah. Whatever it does for you, that specific behavior comes with a rush. Yeah. And uh and an ownership that's really a lie. But you feel like you own something. You know, you own some piece of real estate by telling that lie. Mm. And it's such, it's like owning a piece of cotton candy. You know, as soon as it gets wet, it's going to go away. (laughs) As soon as it gets wet. Well, speaking of sugar, sugar's been my thing this year. Yeah. Like, it was so interesting because when I first got sober, I was obviously living in my parents' house and they eat super 
well, you know? And I was also adhering to a, a diet to heal my esophagitis from smoking, doing bong rips and then vomiting every day and forgetting about oh it. Like my, my mess, my throat was uh, literally, I got an endoscopy and the doctor looked at me and was like, your throat is a mess. And that was like a year before I got sober. Wow. So I finally addressed <laughs> the burning in my throat. Mm-hmm. And so I lost a ton of weight and I wasn't even trying. Part of that, I was so traumatized and like just I, food wasn't a priority. And so my first year sober, I looked great. People were like commenting on it. And I was like, we don't, we don't do that. Like, don't comment on my body. And my mom was like, no, it's not just that you're losing weight. It's like your light is coming back. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, yeah, I hear that. But this year I've gained what I like to call in love weight. (laughs) Yeah. Cause we just like the first, you know, six months of our courtship is like, we lay in bed and watch succession and split a pint of ice cream, you know? Yeah. And yeah, it's been, it's been like, I have more empathy and sympathy for people who talk about sugar addiction and things like that. Because I, I wouldn't say I'm a sugar addict, but I definitely feel the impact of having consumed a lot of sugar this year. Mm-hmm. And it's not comfortable. Right. And it's just, inter- it's just an interesting, like, thankfully I have enough like eating disorder recovery to kind of like be as unjudgmental uh, about it as I can be, mm-hmm. you know? But it's definitely like, yeah, I, I had to get my yayas out somehow, you yeah, know, right? like I don't get to, I don't get to blow steam off with a, a pint no more. You know, it's like, okay, I'm going to eat cookies, you know? Yeah. And it's such a weird, like all this like change and all that. Stuff, it's all a balancing act. Like, mm-hmm. um, and one thing at a time for real. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, we have a friend that's currently in recovery mm-hmm. and he is eating his weight in chocolate. Yeah. His actual weight mm-hmm. in chocolate. And he's getting, you know, he's getting a paunchy belly. Yeah. Never had that before. And he keeps complaining. He keeps being so punitive with himself about the chocolate. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, one thing at a time, man. Yeah. Get your get your brain healthy. Yeah. And then deal with chocolate. Yeah. You know, I get it. In a perfect world you would just give up everything that's bad for you. Yeah. But that's not actually livable or doable. No. Give yourself a fucking break. <laughs> Eat the chocolate. Yeah. Go to your meetings. Yeah. Work your program. Be a better human being. And then figure out the chocolate Yeah. Thing. You know, that's really what you should do, I think. I, I, I completely agree. I think part of it, too, is like, I came into sobriety so traumatized that I was like, I'm never going to do a bad thing ever again. That's so unrealistic. Yeah. And, and also I was doing that esophagitis, like I, the esophagitis healing regime was no chocolate, coffee, uh, carbonation, spice, fried food. Like it was super, like I couldn't even drink coffee. So I didn't have coffee for like three months. Oh my God. And I'm still like not doing it as much just because it's still, it's still, it's going to forever be a thing. But, um, I, I did do that sort of like monastic, like I'm, I've never done a bad thing. I will never do a bad thing. And I am, I am a saint, you know, like my body <laughs> and my mind is clean. I am a temple. Yeah. <laughs> and I did it for six months and it felt great. But also like, uh, I have a little bit more of my, my personality back. You know, I'm not, I'm not frozen in the same way. And there are aspects of my personhood that I'm like, oh, that's part I, I kept telling my dad, like, I'm oh, my shitty aspects of my personality are back. And he's like, you're being punitive. And I am because that's my my natural mode. But 
I again, I think that's kind of why I kind of missed that period of time because I was so, I was scared straight, you know, mm -hmm. I was. Yeah. But, but also my life is bigger and better than it was then, you mm -hmm. know? So it's, I don't know. It's, it's a weird moment. And especially coming up on two years, it's just like, it's wild that it's been two years. Mm -hmm. It is. It's I can't crazy. believe it's been two years. It's amazing. It's so, I don't think, kind of like how I didn't allow myself to see that I wrote a book. I think I'm having a hard time allowing myself to see that this is an accomplishment. Fascinating. And that's, I don't know what that's about. Well, that's definitely something, if you're seeing that as the same sort of thing, that's something you should really look at. Yeah. It's an inability to see yourself fully, maybe, or clearly, or yeah. or to um, own part of who you are. It's so silly, too, because I'm the first person to celebrate anybody else's win. Mm -hmm. Like, my whole, my whole job is to, like, help people see themselves mm -hmm. and, like, help them build their thing. And to a certain degree, I'm doing it for myself, but I think I have a harder time. Why do you think that is? Do you think that was something that was messaged to you when you were younger? Is it something you did to yourself? It was something that you were like, yeah, did a coach or somebody go, yeah, but Sally. Yeah. Or I mean, that, I think that was kind of the nature of figure skating where mm -hmm. it was just kind of like, okay, you did good in this competition, but what about the next one? You uh -huh. know, there's always, there's always a way to be even more perfect. Mm. And when I was doing this interview with my dad, he was saying that he struggles with the same thing. He's like, maybe there's a genetic component to it that is just like, so but either either messaging and figure skating, genetics, or literally messaging from my dad. I Julia Cameron talks about how, you know, as soon as you achieve the sort of the goal of going there and there disappears, that is sort of like a weird liminal space because it's like, well, what am I supposed to do now? Yeah. And um, I actually, and again, I, it's just like, I'm pulling these these things out of my sleeve like a clown with scarves. But like I applied to the PhD program that I had wanted to apply to last year. I finally did it. I spent like eight months on the application. Wow. And and I think that's part of the weird like grief I'm going through right now where it was like I finished and then I was like exhausted. And then it was like, what now? Yeah. What do I do now? Right. You know, like and but because you you didn't get into that program or you did? I didn't apply last year okay I was going to and then I was like this is ridiculous this is too much and then this year I applied and I worked my darndest on yeah. that application um but and I've already heard that people always get rejected on the first try so I'm already expecting to get rejected but still it's like yeah I don't know. It's it, I'm being shown something I need to work on for sure. Right. But I mean, I'd be curious about, because you guys like, you have the cruise. Uh -huh. Bert has been doing huge tours. He is so fit as fuck. And yeah. Georgia went to, like that is like all huge things. Mm -hmm. And I saw that y'all went to um, Vegas. And it, Which time? We've been so much have lately. Have you? Yes, we've just had a lot of work there lately. It reminded me of, my when I was in college, we went to Vegas. I, I just triggered sort of like, I feel like you're kind of experiencing what we experienced when we went to college, where my dad kind of level up a little bit in career and public consciousness, mm -hmm. and it was a weird transition, both for us to go to college and have our own identities, and then to move through the world with my dad and have the public interact with him in a different way, mm -hmm. and so. Yeah, I've just been thinking about you guys and wondering how it's been. 
It's been a crazy year. If, if I saw you March last year, since March, we've had the movie premiere. Oh, you guys fully loaded on land. Wow. Right? And then fully loaded at sea. Red Rocks, his regular touring. Um, yeah, it's just been a little bit of a freight train. It started actually about September 2022 is when the train kind of started. Yeah. It's just been a blur. Um, Bert is definitely next level recognizable in public. Mm -hmm. It is uh, interesting to watch our kids process it. Yeah. They don't enjoy it. Yeah. But they understand it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. They don't want to be approached directly. And, you know, as a teenager, it's a little annoying for someone to, like, interrupt their flow yeah. with a, their dad or whatever. But they kind of get it. You know, I've spent a long time trying to, to say, uh, when he started out doing stand-up, social media wasn't what it is today. Mm -hmm. We didn't really know what what we were getting them into yeah. when we started. So, and we can't, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Yeah. We can't really go back and take all that away yeah so the best you can do is say what an amazing life it's given us and they get to benefit from that life yeah and um you know we get so many emails and stuff from fans saying i love when you talk about your family because i have a georgian and an isla in my family yeah i'm exactly the same and now we have a shorthand in our family about what's going on and yeah i'm like see so you you can help people you create a community yeah and that's a that's a gift. Yeah. And no, you didn't sign up to give that gift. But again, we can't put it back in the bottle. So yeah. so you may as well embrace the positive. Yeah. Try and embrace the positive. And when someone interrupts your dad and wants a picture, say thank you in your head for the life that that person contributed to us having. Yeah. You know, and say thank you for your own life, that your own life is such that you have this dad who loves you so much that you're all he can talk about. Yeah. You know, it's not like he's, you're all he can talk about. Yeah. So it's just an expression of what's important to him. Truly. It's, it's yeah. his That's family. beautiful. And so you can choose to look at it as a real pain in the ass and inconvenience, or you can choose to look at it as a real gift. And it is Ab, your life is your choice. Yeah. You are the only person who gets to navigate how you feel about you. It's not a fan. It's not even a parent. It is you. So it is what they choose. Yeah. You know? No, I, I relate to that a lot because it can be both. I mean, Joan Rivers has a bit where she talks about if someone spots you in the bathroom and you're coming out of the stall, even if you haven't washed your hand, you shake their hand because that's part of the job, you know? Uh -huh. And I relate to the both, this has afforded me a life. I'm here because of my dad. Yeah. You know what I mean? Totally. Um, but also there is, you start to understand the way in which people interact with celebrity mm -hmm. and that for me, and this is what I'm writing my book about, is like kind of the alarming part of like, I think, you know, your kids are a little bit more a part of like, Bert talks about, like a part of the act, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there's more of a conscious understanding of who they are and respect for who they are. But like, I've been treated like a prop piece, you know, where it's like, hey, can you take our picture? You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. And, and that is interesting, uh -huh. you know? But then again, it, like, that's just how it goes. You it know, is it's how like, it goes, yeah. So it's, it's, 
it's a it's a it's a very niche rarefied experience you yes. know like um and that like it is a privilege to be able to even have an opinion on it you yeah, know right? yeah totally it's a privilege yeah. to have an opinion on it and you know think about your dad is similar to Bert I think people think they know him yes that's but, what's yeah. unarming yeah and I know for my kids it's made them making friendships mm. new friends harder mm-hmm. because they're like why are you here are you here because I'm Bert's daughter? Or are you here because you like me, the person that I am, yeah. actually? Yeah. Um, that's been the hard part. And I wish, you know, some of that's just maturity. Um, some of that is, I mean, a lot of it is, all of it is real. Yeah. But some of it is maturity and not having really honed the skill of being able to figure that out. Yeah. Like, and as, that comes. It will. As yeah. an adult, I know exactly who is here and for what reason? Yeah. But I am 53 years old. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I keep trying to tell them that too. Like as life goes on, you'll be able to very quickly you figure it out. You sniff it fast. Really fast. Well, especially when you go to college. I mean, that's, I I guess I'm, I'm relating a lot to Georgia in terms of what she's experiencing because that is around the time in which I was treated differently. Right. Because of that, you right. know? Uh-huh. And I did have that sort of like, oh, they're only talking to me. I like, I remember my freshman year of college, brought my dad on campus. We were walking through Barnard and everybody was like being polite or whatever. And then we walked across the street to Columbia and somebody was like, hey, is that Dr. Drew? You know, and I turned around and it was someone from my anthropology lecture and they did not even notice it was me, you know? And it's like, that's the, that's the moment of like, I see you twice a week, you know, like, yeah, you didn't even like, that was, that will always stay with me mm-hmm. where it's like, that's, but that's also not my friend. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, it's, it's a very, you go from being able to walk down the street with your dad and and there's some people who are niche and understand or whatever. And then you go through like, uh, it's Mickey Mouse in Times Square, you know, uh-huh. and it's disorienting because especially when you're in college and you're like, I only get so much time with my dad and mm-hmm. now I'm having to share it with the world. Yeah. Like that's, it's it's painful. Yeah. Um, but also it's part again, as you said, like that's the life you you are afforded a life mm-hmm. that is beyond what would be possible if he wasn't recognizable. Yeah, totally. And and it's again, it's like Nepo baby problems, you know? It's like Yes. I was gonna say a serious, serious like privilege problem. Oh, yeah, for yeah. Sure. And and that's why it's like, you know. It's 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 a trauma of sorts, but it's not categoric like it's not categorically like crazy trauma. You know, it's yeah. like a very again, it comes back to what we talked about earlier of like, do you see me? Right. Right. It's like when I'm standing next to him, most people don't. Yeah, yeah. And so how can I believe that in this intimate relationship or whatever, that anyone has the the desire to even see me? Mm-hmm. You know? So I just, I was, it just, res- I was like, wow, that's interesting. That it just like triggered that moment in my brain. And that is just life. You you can't put the toothpaste back in the, the tube. You can't. And a little bit, it's life in the fast lane, you know? Yeah. And it, you, you'd hope, at least for my kids, I hope that they, you know, they don't really want to be seen by these, by fans. Yeah. They don't want to be seen. So what you're describing of like, hey, I'm right here, doesn't really, I haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. Uh, parents Weekend at College is is 
very kind of cloak and dagger, you mm-hmm. know, where we have to come in under the radar. We don't stand out. We have to be really uh, very subdued mm-hmm. uh, mom and dad, which we should be anyway. You know, we're yeah. not like crazy people who are going to, you know, stand on the table and dance no. because we're parents. Like some parents do <laughs> parents weekend where they're like, I know, that's so crazy. mom's gone wild. We're not that. <laughs> But at the same time, there's a different level of like awareness of how uh, unassuming and appropriate we need to behave. Yeah. So that she can feel like she just has regular parents. You know what I mean? Um, I'm a pretty loud, gregarious, meet no stranger human being before and after any of this fame. Yeah. But I definitely temper myself because I'm a package deal with Bert. And once I get in it with somebody, she's like, who are you talking to and why are you talking to them? And Mm. I'm like, I'm just being friendly, man. I'm just, you know, I'm making friends, (laughs) making shit work. So I don't know. It is an awareness that we've never had to have before. Um, But I think it's, I think it's okay. I think she's starting to figure it out. And um, and I think Isla's figuring it out too. Yeah. And she'll go off to college a little better. I saw that she got into like every school she applied to. She did. That's amazing. That is a testament that if you are a C student you and you want to go to college, you absolutely can go to college. <sighs> so the environment these days are, oh my God, you don't have a 4.8? Yeah. You're yeah. dead, man. Yeah. You're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. But community college, not true. She got into, she applied to five colleges. Wow. One is a major university. The rest of them were all art schools because she wants to be an art major. And she got into all of them. And That's we- so excited. I were so excited. And it's a testament to her college counselor who knew exactly who she was, saw her for exactly who she was and went, here's where we need to be looking. And one of those, she was like, it was a perfect fit. And she just wanted to apply to that school and be done. And we were like, you can't do that. <laughs> I was like, she was like, my counselor wants me to apply to like 10. I was like, let's split it in half. Yeah. You don't need to do 10. Let's do five. Feel like you're probably going to get into your number one, but let's just do five. Wow. So we did five and she got in all five. That's so, that makes me want to cry. It, you have no idea what it did for her. You have no so idea what it did cry. for That's her. So realistically <sighs> applying to colleges is the way to go. Really, because- I can't tell you how it changed how she saw herself, right? And we have always been a pass-fail family. We are not a family that needs anybody to be academic. Yeah. We need you to pass a grade. <laughs> that is all. Yeah. I need you. That's all. And if you don't pass a grade, we would have dealt with it, by the way. Yeah. But if you're not passing, you're smart enough, that means that you're really not working your hardest. Yeah. You know, we don't have any child who should not be passing a grade. Yeah. So, but her, she's surrounded by overachieving parents and kids who are applying to this, like 23 schools. Yeah, that was me. And you're like, that's crazy. But, but that's crazy in my world. Yeah. It's, Outside of my world, it's kind of the norm. It's the norm and it's crazy. And it's, I'm like, the pressure. It's unrealistic. The pressure you were under and the number of essays you had to write for what was so crazy. Also, the quality of those essays are less because you're pumping out so many for each school. Yeah. This year I've been doing, you know, independent college essay coaching and stuff. And um, 
it really taught me a lot about how many freaking colleges there are all over the place. So many. How many different ways there are to go about going to school. Tracy's um, back at school to get his undergraduate degree. He, he did community college and now he's finishing his degree. And it's just, I have so much respect for people who aren't slotted on that sort of intense track mm -hmm. because there are so many different ways to get your education. Totally. And there are so many schools that like, are, would have been a great fit for whoever, but they were so hyper-focused on Harvard or whatever the fuck, you know? And having a good college counselor really changes the game. Mm -hmm. um, I was working with a kid who met with someone who wanted like $17,000 independent college essay guy and, or 14,000 and then an additional- For what? Yeah, I'm sorry, for what? For college counseling and essay help. Oh my God. And- he was like, oh, and we'll help you publish a paper and get it published in a biology journal for an additional $3,000. So they came to me and I was like, so what is your grade point average? She was like, uh, waited, it's a 4.2. And I was like, where do you want to go? She was like, Oregon. I was like, you do not have to pay. You don't even have to, what are you? I was like, no. <laughs> That's an incredible waste of time and there, money. There is so much fear mongering around the college application process that, is criminal to me because it really like it really should be like okay what is the right fit for you and let's apply and yeah. if that doesn't work out there's so many ways to get there yeah. like I don't know I mean again it's like my life was I was in that you know hyper competitive if you don't go to an Ivy League you're a failure everybody's applying to 23 schools I ended up going to the school that was right for me we did graduate school. you know I like I, I was on the track um but also like I had every means necessary to allow me to do that. Yeah. Without, you know, I didn't have, I don't have loans. You know, I'm very privileged in that sense. And so when I, you know, I, I think that there's, there's so much room around how we conceive of higher education and how it can work for you if you find the right place for you. That's right. Yeah. It can work, I think, effortlessly. Yeah. It can, school can be very easy for you if it's the right place. Yeah. We have a friend who has a, a son who is in his second year at a school he did not want to go to. Mm. However, he's getting excellent grades mm. in a very good program. Huh. And you go, maybe the school, they find you. They know who's the right fit. Exactly. Maybe you should trust that because you don't really, yeah. what can you learn in a yeah. two-hour tour? Not much. Nothing. If they have Tempur-Pedic beds and what their cafeterias are like. And that doesn't matter at all. No. George's no. dorm room was the most... It was straight from 1972. Yeah, mine too. And, yeah, you know, you're like, what the heck? It, yeah, it's it's kind of, it's so, it's crazy what you have to go through. It it should just shouldn't be happening. It shouldn't be happening. My kid has a 2.75 grade point average and got into five schools because we applied to the schools that she should be going to, not. That makes me so, like, I literally, it makes me tear up. I'm just like, that is really exciting. It's really exciting. And she wrote one essay. She wrote one essay. I'm I'm sure it was good, though. Uh, it was. It was good. Yeah. But she wrote one. You know, the thing, too, about college counselors, her counselor was wonderful. Her counselor also is used to parents who were like, no 10, no 15. Yeah. No, we need eight essays. And we're so not that parent. And I think Susie's been a guest here before. I think she'd be comfortable with me saying this. At one point I went, hey, we're just not going to do that. We're just going to let 
good enough be good enough. And if she doesn't get in, I'm cool with that. Because if we keep pushing at a certain point, it's not representative of her her work. Yeah. You know, you, I would, it's, it's just not representative of who she is. So if she's going to phone it in, you know, Susie kept going, there's this, these additional questions on some of these college applications yeah. to one of the schools. They're just like simple questions. Where's the, what, what is an interesting place you've visited, right? I was like, I went to the Vatican. It was amazing. So, and Susie was like, mm, I think we should expand on that. And I went, okay, have her expand on it. She expanded on it and she was like, it was amazing. The Sistine Chapel was beautiful. That was her expansion. And Susie was like, mm, not enough. And I went, I think it's good. I think it's good. Like you go back to her one time, yeah. give her some notes, have her oh do it and then God. leave it. Because if you keep going back and back and back, yeah. then it's not going to be her. Yeah. And now a school's going to expect her to write 15 sentences when really she's only going to write three. <laughs> and the three is really all, she's so efficient. Yeah. She's like her mother. Yeah. You don't need to be drama. Yeah. I saw, I went to the Vatican. It was amazing. The Sistine Chapel was beautiful. <laughs> I don't really have much else to say about that. I so, love that so let's much. represent her appropriately. Yeah. And if she doesn't get in, then that's what I'm I said to her, if she doesn't get in because she hasn't expounded on these, I'm good with it. Yeah. And she was like, if you're good with it, then I'm I completely agree with you. Let's stop here. And I was like, freaking right on. But then I had a counselor who saw my child for who she was yeah. and was used to dealing with parents who would have been like, no, push her, push, go, go, go. And I was like, no, that Ugh. doesn't line up at all yeah why would i why would i misrepresent my child i would never allow someone to misrepresent her and susie was by no means trying to misrepresent her she was trying to do her job to her best ability yeah and i applaud susie for that and i applaud susie for hearing me when i said no more yeah and she went no more let's see what happens from here and lo and behold as she represented herself as herself, yeah. she got into five colleges. That's amazing. So, well, it's, yeah. it's such a weird moment in the college application history because they're no longer doing affirmative action and SAT is not always, rec- it's optional. And so it really becomes, well, what do they want? Who do they want? Do grades matter? Do essays matter? And I think your approach is exactly correct. Like that's my approach to it as well. Is like, as long as you're representing yourself as best as you can, they will, these colleges are good at picking people who will thrive at their school, you mm-hmm. know? And that's what they want. Yeah. They don't want someone who's going to drop out. No. They want someone who's going to pay tuition for four years. Yeah. yeah. Right? And it's like, you need to represent who you are. But that's also part of it is, you know, I'm one of those kids that came out of that high intensity push, push, push. And it wasn't even necessarily my parents. It was the school more mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't know who I was. How are you supposed to? No, I mean, 17, 18 years old. No, I knew who they wanted me to be. That's not the same. That's not, doesn't mean anything. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's a broken system. But I went to the right school. You did. Yeah. So it worked. And I binge drank all four years. (laughs) And it's a miracle. (laughs) I graduated (laughs) with two broken feet. Did you know I broke both my feet six weeks before graduation? What? (laughs) Um... What do you mean your feet? There's a lot of bones in your feet. Okay, so I was blackout pretending to do parkour during what? <laughs> I wasn't an alcoholic though. Um, definitely not. No, 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 no. Um, it was during this like yearly music festival. 
And I was literally jumping up and down on a fountain shouting parkour. Like I wasn't actually doing parkour, but I fell weird and then proceeded to like dance for three hours and then walk to Harlem to get ribs and back home. And I woke up the next day and couldn't bear weight on my foot. Oh my God. And so the first foot I had sprained my ankle or something. I don't remember, quite remember. Then a week later, um, I was in a lecture hall for a film class and at the I I couldn't see and it was like arena style. So I like hopped up on one foot to just like watch like the Sopranos or something. It was like I think it was American television drama. And at the end of class, I was so excited to leave that I like hopped down and then slipped <gasps> and fell in front of the whole lecture hall. And this tiny squat like TA came and pulled me up onto my feet and I slammed down onto both feet. I was like, ah! like started screaming. And then an ambulance had to come and I had chipped a bone in the other foot. And this is all six weeks before graduation. Oh my God. And because I had been so depressed my sophomore year and had like a 2.7 GPA um, and also binge drinking the whole time, but not addressing it, you know, mm. um, I had to take like 30 credits my senior year. Oh my God. So I was finishing my thesis, had two broken feet. It was like, it was such a mess. Um, but I didn't have a drinking problem. No. So now <laughs> let me ask you this. Yeah. How much of this did your parents know? Uh, did they about, know your grade point average? And did they know that you were taking 30 credits and that you, did they know? I mean, at that point, I mean, I had started eating disorder recovery at like 19. And so it was kind of the, the drinking was seen. I mean, I don't think anyone knew how much it was kind of normal because everybody's been drinking in yeah, college. Totally. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I talked about this with my dad recently. We're like, my, my substance abuse consumption was like very unaddressed. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, did he know about it? I'm curious because uh, I have college students. Yeah, yeah. So I want to know yeah. what she's doing that I there, don't know about. My sophomore year when I was most depressed, I went I went on like a 10-day bender mm-hmm. where I would just like binge drink for it because it was like Halloween and then uh, fall break and then my birthday. Like it was just like there was reasons to drink or whatever. Yeah. And I remember I was on an airplane with my dad. I don't remember where we were going. And I was like, I'm depressed. And he was like, you know, alcohol is a depressant. Like he would say things like that where like, it's like he knew, but he would like, I both appreciate and resent that aspect where sometimes I wish that he would be a little bit more confrontational, Mm -hmm. but also when he would try to address things, I would get so defensive, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so that was kind of the point in which I was like, oh, maybe my alcohol consumption is why I feel sad. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I haven't asked. I wonder. I'm curious about that. Yeah. So my dad had a new idea what I was doing. Yeah. Totally out to lunch. Yeah. And I think I have some sneaky suspicions about both my kids. Yeah. No proof. And uh, I, I don't think anybody's off in a ditch yeah. or blackout drunk all the time yeah. or anything like that. But I just, I'm just curious because you, you yeah. did have a lot of stuff going on with the eating disorder yeah. and with drinking and with weed. And so I just didn't know how much they knew. How could they know? They were here, I think they? I w- they were here. And, and were I think I felt so much fear and shame about my substance abuse because of my dad being my dad. Mm-hmm. And so- well, We talk about that being a heavy load. Yeah. No, I was telling someone the other day that like, we were talking about weird drugs we've done and I was, and they were like, oh, well, I'd go to the cocaine dealer or whatever. I was like, I never bought my own drugs because I was so afraid of someone seeing me and like selling it to, to not that anyone would, yeah. 
But there was sort of like this grandiose fantasy because it did happen with my eating disorder, uh-huh. you know? Um, so it was very much like, I can't be found with that, you know? Right. But I was still doing it. Yeah. Um, like I was still doing weird research chemicals from the Netherlands and things like that, you know? But it was mailed to my house in a different... It's just like all these weird things right. that... Um, like the mental gymnastics of like, well, I'm not, I'm not doing it, you know? But that was, that carried through like all of that was, I was so afraid of being caught. Right. So afraid. Also dopamine. (laughs) Yeah. Also. I love a secret. You do, don't you? You do. Like not consciously, but like subconsciously I do. Like that's been a survival tactic. Well, I think it's conscious now. Yeah. I think you now are aware that you know, that may be part of your grief, too. Mm, if I don't you, have any more secrets. If you, if you Choosing to not have any secrets is very boring. And it's very healthy. I know. You know, healthy is pretty boring. Eating keto, boring as fuck. Let me tell you. <laughs> not drinking alcohol. Yeah. All of it's boring. Getting enough sleep. Screw that. Yeah. It's all boring. But it's it's healthy. It's just kind of, you know stinks I, I it's it's like I I wouldn't want it any other way yeah but it's like that's why sugar kicks in you know it's like there's it's like a gopher popping out of a hole it's mm-hmm. like you gotta you gotta have something you Somewhere, know yep and for me I've been recognizing that when I'm not in my discipline like when I'm not writing when I'm not ice skating all those things that's when my weird shit starts happening mm-hmm. like I think I have to like encounter flow states Mm -hmm. in order to get that sort of like euphoric state a little bit. Like it's almost like going into ecstasy like states, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's not as like profound as like we're not at a 10, you know, but being in a space in which like I get release and connect to something that feels magical, Mm -hmm. I think is how I keep level, you know, because I like I think that was happening after I submitted my PhD where I was like, I was like, I need to take a week off. And I just wasn't doing anything. And then I was starting to feel insane. And I, like, again, Julia Cameron talks about how, like, when you're not actively practicing your craft, like, artists become murderous people, you know? (laughs) And I was really experiencing that where, you know, I have to accept that that writing and skating and all these things are how I keep healthy. Mm-hmm. That that is part as just as important as like sleeping and resting and all that stuff. Um, now, do you get that from working out? I do. I, it's such a I do, but also. So this is really interesting. So, Tracy's also sober, and when he got sober, he lost over a hundred pounds. Holy and, cow! Yeah, and so he was very disciplined. Like for him weight loss was a becoming. Uh-huh. And for me, obviously, it was like a, a torture chamber. Uh-huh. And so that's been sort of not a source of contention, but he's very conscious about not wanting to trigger me. And I'm like, I'm not afraid of being triggered, you know? Um, but it's this different language of, for him, eating well was a way to like show up fully as a better person. Mm -hmm. Whereas for me, it was like, again, a torture chamber. And Mm -hmm. so I think in the back of my head, I'm starting to get back into the discipline of like lifting weights and moving my body Mm -hmm. and things like that. And it it feels amazing. Yeah. 
But also, I think there's a part of me that always is afraid that I'm going to take it too far. That like, because I, I was a sort of kid where it was like, I'd skate for two, two hours and I come home and like, hold the ballet bar and like kick my leg up for an hour as high as I could, you know? And it's like, that's compulsive behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I don't, it's like, and, and that's kind of where we got to where he was like, I don't think you would take it to that place again. Mm-hmm. That like, you can have a new relationship to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of where I'm, I'm back to, where I'm trying to, because I'm an athlete, you know? Mm-hmm. Like yes, I, you are. Yeah, and I forget that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I actually worked out before I came here Nice, it felt good, but yeah, it's like that. It's like the fear. It's like the Oakham's razor is like, Mm -hmm. I enjoy it, but it's like, I'm afraid of working out two days in a row. I don't know why, like still. Well, that's, you know, what's interesting about that. I had a therapist say this to me once. I was like, I had so many fears about not making it Mm -hmm. in life, right? About being poor or not being able to pay my rent or something like that. And she was like, have you ever let yourself down? Mm. And I said, no. And she said, so what you have to do is learn. You have to decide to learn and know that today, who you are today is built on all of these other things. So that who the person you were like two years ago might treat the circumstance differently than the person who's here today. Because you've had two years of learning. Yeah. So as you learn uh, your sobriety, as you learn to be in a relationship, as you learn to take care of yourself in a different level, as you learn to sit with grief and just be there and be present, then you can also learn, he's right, a different relationship. Because as an athlete, I I am married to an athlete. He needs to do something athletic every day. It doesn't have to be like what you're talking about, an intensity that's four hours long. But even if he doesn't work out with a trainer, he has to do something athletic. Um, It may be like he loves to play tennis. He he loves to get in the pool and just move around in the pool. And not even really swimming that much, but getting in the pool is so active compared to just like laying around or sitting around or... Or even going for a walk. Yeah. You know, getting in the pool is a totally different thing. So I wonder if that's that's because as an athlete, I think you I think it is part of just your fiber. Yeah, it is. It's your fiber. And as you get older, you're so young right now. I feel old. I'll tell you what, at fifty three, I started working out with my trainer almost four years ago. Yeah. I work out three days a week. And it's hard. Like, I think he actually tries to kill me. Every time he's like, today's the day. I'm breaking this horse. Ready? I'm going to kill her today. She ain't walking out here today. And every time I get up and I walk out. And today he had me doing some shit where I actually was like, I cannot do this. And I just kept doing it. And I kept going, I cannot what are you trying to get me to do here? He had me like upside down on some balance ball. He was holding my legs down and making me do a full inverted like crunch, like a oh, whole, like where God. I went. That I, My body doesn't work like that. And he kept going, it does. You just need to breathe. Mm. If you will breathe, you will find all the power you need. I would never do anything. He said this to me a million times. Would never set you up to do something I don't think you can actually do. Yeah. And I'm doing it, going the whole time going, I cannot believe I'm doing this. 
I cannot believe I'm doing this. But I wish I had been working out with a trainer since I was, uh, since I graduated high school. Yeah. But really, since I graduated high school, because I can't imagine what shape I would be in. I And this is when, when you hit your 50s, is when things start kind of falling apart, mm-hmm. right? So the privilege I have to be able to get ahead of that is so great that I really challenge you for that reason, for your long game, for the marathon that is life, Mm -hmm. to every day do something that's athletic because you are an athlete. Yeah. Because you are an athlete. And that doesn't mean you work out. The days you ice skate, you don't don't work out that day. Yeah. You're ice skating. Yeah. Or ice skate every day. And then the other days are it. But I would do it if I were you. I would do it right away. Don't worry about your weight or don't worry about that. Yeah. That doesn't matter because to be honest with you, and being athletic has to do with balance, with joint support, mm-hmm. with agility. Weight doesn't have a whole lot to do with that. Yeah. It really doesn't. No. I am not a svelte woman. I definitely have a load on my back that's fat. And buddy, I am one slick, agile, good balance moving mother. Yeah. And it's all from working out. That, I think. It's this, separate from your from your body image. Yeah. It's yeah. separate from your body image. No, it's really instrumental to, to aging in a way that is not painful. <laughs> that is easy. Yeah. That's the problem is that people, I'm not saying you're doing this. Yeah. But some people wait till they're already in major discomfort. Yeah. And now you're digging yourself out of a hole. Whereas if you had been keeping yourself at a certain place, if you have an injury or if you have an aging problem where you're having joint issues, just simply because you're aging, you're already in such good shape, those issues are so much less. And it seems like, oh, really? I got to work out? But four years into it, I really, it is, I don't have many regrets. That is a regret that I haven't been doing that my whole life. So I feel like 10 feet tall and bulletproof because I take care of myself. Yeah. That because I, Bert says this to me all the time about all kinds of things. Your job in life is to be undeniable everywhere. To be undeniable as a parent, as a partner, as a human, is how you care for yourself, is what you produce as a writer, is how you show up as a friend, is how you want to be remembered. Every piece of it, your goal should be to be undeniable. Mm. And you know what a goal can be? I, I want to be an undeniably a nice person. I want people to think of me as a really nice person. And I can do that just by being aware of it every day. And I want it to be undeniable that I am just the nicest person you've ever met. I also want it to be undeniable that I'm really good shape and, and that I'm a really good wife and I'm a really good mom. And it doesn't mean you have to be perfect. Yeah. That's not it. It's that no one can look at you and say, eh. I love that. Be undeniable. You are undeniable in so many ways. I hope you know that. I think I do. You should. <laughs> undeniable is what you are. Yeah. So in those places where you're not undeniable, that's just your goal. Yeah, I think this injury really woke me up to the ways in which aging is 
a privilege and a painful process. And I'm definitely at that point where I am accepting that I'm an athlete and that I have to move and that the way in which I had a maladaptive relationship to exercise does not have to inform what it is now. You get to write that narration. Yeah. You get to narrate that. Yeah. Starting now. Your past doesn't get to narrate that. Yeah. You do every day. You know, it's when you were saying, you know, I can't do this. And he was saying, I can do this. It reminded me of being on my knees at that Alabama gas station and trying to chant to myself, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. And it came out, I can't do this. Mm. And there's something profound about someone telling you can do something that you can deny, like can undeniably do. And then there's also something profound about getting to that point where you know you can't do it any longer. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting how those are not that far. I don't know. I, I Well, I see that differently. Hmm. I see getting to the point where you can't do it anymore. Yeah. It's finally getting to the point where you can. Yeah. You can't. Now I can make a change. Yeah. Now I can be myself. Yeah. Now I can say what I mean. Now I can move forward. Now I can change. Right? Yeah. That's where you got to. Yeah. You you got to, you stepped over a threshold mm-hmm. from one room in your life to another new room in your life. Yeah. That's what you did. You said, no, actually, I got this. Even though it felt like I can't, I can't, I can't. It was a surrender that I needed. It was the surrender that yeah. you needed. It was a letting go, right? When you let go, oh my God, it just opens up so much, right? It's, it's wild what happens when you drop the anvils, you know, and you you are no longer sinking to the bottom of the ocean. All of a sudden you float back up and you're like, oh, I can breathe again. Yes. You know? And I got this. Yeah. And as you, we talk about this, my Girl Scout troop leaders and I love this. Because we have 10th, 11th, 12th graders. Yeah. And we have sophomores in college that are no longer in our troop, but they're ours. And to see and to be reminded what was life or death in the different stages of life Mm. and how at 50, you go, oh my God, if I could tell my 16-year-old, my 22-year-old self, my 26-year-old self, I could just give them a little bit of this, mm-hmm. but they would never, I would never be here if I hadn't had that. Yeah. So the, what we're trying to teach the girls is an awareness that you're always learning. So whatever is really hard right now is good mm. because that is creating knowledge. It may be painful. It may be difficult. It may be scary. You may want to get out as soon as possible. You may want to drink to hide it, fill in the blank. But it's really necessary or you'll never be the wise person. You'll only be the same. You'll be arrested in your development. Yeah. So if you can find a way to hold in your psyche when you're in those bad places that this is actually can be good for me. Yeah. You know, this can be growth. Yeah. This is what, I mean, growing pains hurt. Yeah. They hurt a lot. Yeah. They're not called growing funds. <laughs> yeah. Growing good times. Growing They're tickles. Growing pains. Yeah. So if you can just hold that as you get to my age, 
you recognize it and you go, oh, okay, I know what's happening. This is actually good. Yeah. So let me cry about this or let me struggle with this because at the end of this is good. Yeah. So you know what I mean? No, I do. I, I, I mean, I think this whole conversation is circling around that change is constant yeah. and how we approach change determines who we are essentially. And, and your struggle. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's just, it's it's kind of alarming and both tantalizing how much can change in such a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. And and it's funny because I, I, I have, I'm someone who's been so many different people in one lifetime that like the 18-year-old self and the 22, like I, there's so much I can cringe at. But, but isn't also, it fabulous? Yeah. I think it's amazing. Yeah, because it's like, I have so much that I can offer. Yes. Because I was that. Yes. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. When I list my resume, I sold wedding gowns. I drove a tow truck. I've sold Avon. I've Did wa- you, you, you drove a, tr- a tow truck? Yes. My first job was keeping books in my dad's auto mechanic shop. I was only 13. And then I, when I got my driver's That's license. That's like my mom. She worked at my grandfather's hardware store. Exactly. Yeah. You keep the books, you write yeah. the checks, you yeah. pay the bills. You she was a limo everything. driver too. Was she? Yeah. Oh She's like God. you. We're twins. But I, I managed apartment building when we were first married. Wow. For, I, I can't tell you how many skills and lessons yeah. from all of these different places that I, I live every day. I own them. And they're part of everything I process. Some of it's not great, but I'd say most of it is where you just go, oh yeah. And sometimes I sit and reflect, well, where did I learn that? Where did that come from? Mm-hmm. You know, it came from here. It came from there. Yeah. It came from a little bit of this. I built furniture with my dad. You know, yeah. I helped build a chimney. I dug ditches. I did, I was a model. I did all this stuff. And you go, this big hodgepodge cornucopia of life brings a really wisdom, you know, really wise person. Yeah. And so I feel like my life has been so rich to this point. Yours is the same. No, I do too. It's so rich. It's, it's, I guess I just, I don't know. It's, there's something, I don't know. I don't think it's self-indulgent, but there's something confusing about having so much, having built so much and having so much life experience and then yet still feeling a sense of grief. Mm-hmm. for, I don't even know what. Do you, you know? feel like you may have a bit of a melancholy disposition? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, then don't worry about it. <laughs> I don't know. I'm funny. not even joking. I know, it's, but it's funny because it's like, I can be very outgoing and bubbly yeah. and, and all that stuff, but- But like, that might be more my under Yeah, my undercurrent is um, melancholy. Yeah. Nothing wrong with melancholy. Yeah. Melancholy is beautiful. Because bitches like me that's always happy <laughs> need somebody to go, hey, you know. Yeah. I joke all the time. My friend Kathy's a book club. We call her the contrarian. Yeah. Because she will see something I don't see in everything. Yeah. Not contrary doesn't mean negative. It just means different. Yeah. Right. It's contrary to what I see. It's yeah. a contrast somehow. And I, if I have a problem, she's one of the first piece not, people I call because I know she's going to see something I don't see. Yeah. And. I, she's contrary. She's like that about everything. She's always, well, well, you know, ma, 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 ma. But I don't find her a negative person. Yeah. I just find her 
uh, cautious and analytical, you know? I, I think I'm starting to identify. I think it's just that there is such a depth of feeling yeah. around this moment, what it, where I was two years ago today and feeling that fear and sadness. And then also I think the double, the, the other side of it is like profound gratitude, which mm-hmm. feels like sadness in a certain way that it kind of brings a, like a almost teariness mm-hmm. about it where it's like, I wake up every day, I make my bed, I literally kiss my cat and thank God for bringing my cat into my life. You oh, know, like, yeah. like I literally think my cat is heaven sent. I think he is my guardian angel, you mm-hmm. know? And then like, usually Tracy has started the tea kettle for me. You know, it's just like, there are really, and I live in a really beautiful place. Like even my toilet faces a tree, you know? Like <laughs> I'm not in New York anymore. Like right. I live in my hometown essentially. And that is so far from what I imagine for myself. Yeah. And so often what we imagine for ourselves is not what we actually need. Uh-huh. And I'm so thankful for everything as it happened. But yeah, it's like, it's it's presenting as grief, but mostly it's just like, confronting the depth of feeling that for so long I avoided. Yeah. And makes perfect sense. Yeah. And, but it's like uncomfortable too. Cause it's like, here I am like in a performance setting and I'm just like, I'm, I'm feeling things, you know, this isn't a performance. This is a conversation. Yeah. The point of my podcast is that people talk about real stuff. Yeah. I don't need you to come here and, and song and dance. Well, I don't. No, you don't. And I, but <laughs> no, and I don't, I would never want that yeah, from you. No. I would want you to come here and tell me what you're really going through because yeah. I guarantee you someone listening or watching is feeling the same thing. Yeah. Has just gone through some monumental change, yeah. a divorce, a death, a graduation, and now I don't know what job I'm going to yeah. take. I just had a baby. Yeah. Fill in the blank. There's yeah. so many major life changes. Someone, an addict yeah. that's sober that may be feeling exactly what you're feeling. That's the whole point. I don't want anybody to come in here and be like, yeah, everything's <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, and yeah, Just because like, then what do you learn? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's so boring too. Yeah. I mean, it's just boring. Yeah. It's not real. I agree with you. I can't, I can't handle the performance. I can't do it either. I did it for so long and I just, I, I can't get it up in the same way anymore. Heck no. But all in all, it's like, I don't know. I, I, I'm blown away by the way in which things unfold and how it's never what you predict. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just, it's, I, I feel myself uh, sort of absorbing how much has changed mm-hmm. and then also staring down the barrel of how things are about to change. And I think I'm going to be like you where I'm really going to enjoy being a mother. Like mm-hmm. that's something that like at 22, I did a medita- a guided meditation with a clairvoyant and I saw this like, uh, like this girl on a bridge wearing like f- wings and like had like a, like a Streamer? ribbon. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I understood that I had to like heal the feminine cycle of violence in my family in order to like be the mother that I want to be for my future daughter. Um, and so from 22, but also like now I'm like, I think that wasn't 
my future child. I think that was me. Mm-hmm. Like I had to heal my inner child mm-hmm. in order to be the person that I am now. Mm-hmm. And so much of the work that I've been doing, like I didn't remember my childhood before getting sober. Mm. Like literally that car ride, day three of that car ride, I had a moment where I was driving down Alabama got highway. And then all of a sudden, like, and he had fallen asleep. So he, he wasn't like actively psychotic at me. And so I could hear my thoughts. I was back in my body and scenes from my childhood were like flashing like a movie, like my, like sitting on my grandfather's lap and smelling his leather windbreaker and waiting for my mom to pick me up at a carpool pickup in second grade and the backyard of my parents' first house. And it was then that I realized, oh, I'm living something I have to write about. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't know it, but I was being catapulted back into my body and brain before I started using. Mm. And so I had access to those memories. Mm. And so, yeah, I think maybe it's recognizing and feeling how much has changed because I am back in my body and right. healing myself, you right. know? But yeah, I, 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 I see a change coming that I'm really excited for, mm-hmm. but also at the same time, it's like, it's not yet, right? you know? Yeah. And so it's a weird liminal space. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, it makes sense. That totally makes sense. Have, do you do a lot of inner child work? That's what Artist Way is, basically. That's what it all is? Yeah. No a lot way. of it. Yeah. Which is why I do it over and over and over again. That's really cool. Yeah. Like, so when you're starting again? Yes, we're going to start in January. It's a year-long cohort this year. What is that? What? So for the first three months of the year, January through March, we're going to do the workbook. And then the rest of the year, we're going to meet monthly, but we're going to go through different contemporary creativity books so that we can sort of keep in touch and continue kind of creating. Because mm-hmm. usually we do the three months and then it drops off and it's like this really like, now what? You know? Yeah. And so now we're going to have the year-long support so that not only can we continue talking about what was in the artist way in contemporary contexts, but also we can have the year long community together. That's cool. Yeah. Very so, cool. So that's coming up. When does it start? January 7th, 7th and 8th. There's two cohorts. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So you're running two different classes at the same time yeah. for a whole year. Mm-hmm. Wow. So how many people are in each one? Probably right now I have about six in each, um, but I want, like 15 in each. Okay. So yeah. I can sponsor one. Yeah. That'd be amazing. Yeah. I'll sponsor one scholarship. Thank you. And then how do people apply for the scholarship? You go to my website on polynapinski.com. There's a contact form. If you say I'm applying for the wife of the party scholarship and tell me why now and why you need the help, you'll be in the running. Nice. Yeah. I love it. Well, I'm yeah. happy to do that. Thank you. Um, that's so exciting. Yeah. It's going to be here. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you came today. Thank you for having me. I love you so much. I love you too. I've missed you. I've missed you too. And I'm sorry it took me uh, this long, but no, we no. have been moving and shaking. Uh, it's been really exciting to see every, like, I feel like every week it's some huge, massive career defining moment, which is fucking spectacular. It feels like it some, some weeks. I feel like, wow, again, how am I going to do this again? Well, I'm not doing any of it, yeah. but I'm doing the back end. No, you're there. Of it. Um, but yeah, it's been a crazy 16 months or so. It's been That's really crazy. Incredible. Yeah, it is. So I miss you. So not so long you. next time. I'm yes. so 
happy for you and Tracy. I'm Thank so you. happy. I would love to meet him. Oh, it's coming. Please. Oh my God. That I can't wait. Awesome. Yeah, He's 6'5". What? Yeah. <laughs> like him even better. <laughs> He's like Halston. Yes. A big Absolutely. tall drink of water. We love, we love big boys. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Keep them big. Keep them big. All right. Well, go to paulinapinski.com. Check out the artist way. I will sponsor a um, scholarship. She just told you how to find it or how to apply for it. So, yeah, thank you so much. Thank sweetheart. you. Thank Happy you. holidays. I love you very much. Love you too.